Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Greg. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see y'all. Um, today we are, I'm doing a part two of a, of a little mini sermon series. I'm, I'm actually going through the book of Hebrews, but this is a little two-part series on handing down the faith. So this is part two about handing down the faith, uh, passing along the faith to our kids. Um, I did want to mention what, just to uh, emphasize what Steve said on May 18th, we're discussing this book called Faith for Exiles. So we're having this little discussion uh, here at the church. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's a helpful book, especially for parents and, and youth leaders. Um, and, and the reason I'm doing this, the reason I'm talking about passing down the faith is my burden is this, and I've talked about this a number of times, two-thirds of kids raised in church, so think about this, you've got this amount of kids raised in church, two-thirds of them end up leaving the, ter- the church by the time they're in their 20s. And most of that group that leaves the church here in America, most of them do not return. So this really burdens me. Uh, and I wanted us as a church to do what we can to prevent it. And one of the things we can do is, is pray. Uh, as as uh, Greg said, we have these little prayer cards, so important. Uh, so we want to be a, a praying church for our kids. I want to say this, I've, I've said this before too, I'm not an expert on this at all. Don't think I'm like some super parent, but as a pastor and a dad, I've been thinking about these issues for a long time. I've been studying just about why kids retain the faith and why some of them leave for, for a long time. And, uh, and it's, so it's a, just a huge thing for me. Also, just to stress, the, the last time I preached, we can't save our kids, right? Only God can save our kids. But God does use means. He uses faithful parents and faithful churches to bring kids to faith. So the question I've been thinking about for a long time is this. When, kid, when you see kids remain faithful, when, the, when they're raised in the church and they remain faithful well into adulthood, what are the characteristics of their parents? What are the characteristics of the churches in those situations? So you see what I'm saying? When, when kids in the church and they, they remain faithful to the Lord, they remain committed to the Lord, what are the sort of the common denominators? And what we find is, usually the, the most important factor is parents. It's parents. By, by, that's by far the most important factor. And parents of faithful kids do at least two things. And we talked about the first one last time I preached on this. One, they have a certain parenting style. And I think this is really, I call it a fruit of the spirit parenting style. That these parents, they, they do things, it's a biblical parenting style. They, they discipline their kids, there's order and structure in the homes, they had high, high expectations for their kids. Also, they're very involved with their kids, they're very affectionate, very tender with their kids. They really love their kids. So this type of biblical parenting, it turns out when, when kids are raised with both discipline and huge amounts of love and affection, those kids end up staying in the faith. By and large, okay? As I said, fruit of the Spirit parenting, this is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is, and think about families and, and that are like this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, when parents and families are like that, when mom and dad are devoted to Jesus Christ, when mom and dad are committed to the church, when they're displaying the fruit of the Spirit, and their marriage is like this, when that happens, kids often remain faithful to Christ and his church. So for kids raised in the church who remain faithful to the Lord, that's one common denominator, fruit of the Spirit parenting, I'm calling it. The other characteristic, and this is one we're going to talk about today, of parents that hand down their faith are this. They, they talk about their faith. They talk about God's word. They're committed to God's word. That's one. And then the other one is, and again, we're going to talk about both of them, they're committed to the church. They're committed to God's word and to the church. So first, parents that hand down their faith, they talk about their faith. They talk about God's word. There's a sociologist named Christian Smith. I've read a number of things by him. He's conducted a ton of research on this. And what it shows is that parents who regularly talk about their faith, those are the parents who often end up with kids who remain committed to the Lord. And it turns out that talking about our faith is exactly what the Lord commands. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy 6, this is called the Shema, which means to hear. That's the first word in the passage, hear. So it's Deuteronomy, early in the Bible, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9 is what we're going to read. Here's what it says. Hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now listen to the connection with parenting. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit at home and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So it starts out by saying, love the Lord your God, right? That's the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and power. To love God with everything you have. This is the most important thing for us to do. I don't care who you are, not just parents. To love God with your whole being. This is what we're made for, to be in relationship with him and to love him and be loved by him. And again, notice how the passage is addressing the topic we're looking at today, handing down the faith. Verse 7, it's talking to parents. It says, you shall teach them. You shall teach them the, the words of God diligently to your children. So again, this passage is talking about teaching God's word to your kids, handing down the faith. But notice this, look in verse six, it's, it starts out by saying, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, shall be on your heart. What the Lord is saying is you need to make sure that God's word is on your own heart. The words from God, Words from the Bible, they need to take root in your own heart. And this will result then at, in a love for God, which what, what uh, verse 5 says. So for all of us, this is not just for parents, for all of us, God's word needs to be treasured in our hearts. We need to love the word of God and have it deep in our souls, in our hearts. And for parents, if you want to hand down the faith to your kids, it starts with this. 
allowing God's word to work in your own life, allowing the Holy Spirit to transform your life through God's word. Then, as you live a life where you're constantly seeking to love the Lord, to live for him, and allow his word to change you as you're doing this, then we get to Deuteronomy 6, verses 7 to 9. I'm going to read them again. It says, You shall teach them the words from God diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. This is a Jewish cultural thing. This is bind on the hand and frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. But, but the, the gist of it is this. God, for God's people, his word should be central to our lives. God's word, the Bible, scripture, should saturate our lives. God's word should just be, it should just be soaked into us. It should saturate our churches. This is why we, we read scripture and we say it together. We want God's word to be going down in our hearts. This is what God calls us to as his people, as the church. That's what God, God calls us to as parents. Okay, here's the hard part for parents. How do we do this? How do we actually carry this out? This is the challenge for parents. What is this look like. So in a practical way, how can we as parents be Deuteronomy 6 people? How can we be Deuteronomy 6 parents who live in such a way that the word of God is saturating our homes and our families? How can we live in such a way that God's truth can get down into the hearts of our kids? I mentioned this last week, but it's so important. Uh, I mean, the last time I preached on this, it's so important. I want to stress it again. Throughout history, up until recently, families always ate their meals together. That's what they've done for centuries. And this was assumed. It happened all the time, but not today. A lot of times we live in a time where everybody's on the go. We're very busy. But I can tell you this, one of the common denominators for parents who hand down their faith to their kids is that they sit down as a family and they have dinner together a lot. Studies show that the families that have dinner together in the church, if they have dinner together four to five times per week as a family, those are the ones who end up passing down the faith, with very few exceptions. So again, remember what it says, Deuteronomy 6, 7. You shall talk of them, you shall talk of God's words when you sit in your house. Sitting down to dinner four to five times per week, sitting down together as a family, sharing a meal, and including in that conversation at least some discussion about the Lord and his word. This is so important. This is huge. I'll tell you what, for our family, this was one of the most important decisions we ever made, to have dinner together. You can't do it every night, especially as the kids get older and they start getting involved in activities. But our goal as a family, especially when the kids were young, was to have dinner together almost every single night. This was, a, this was really a non-negotiable for us. And this was when we talked about God's word. And we talked really about everything going on in our lives. So, as I said, kids that remain faithful, they often are in families that ate together four to five times per week. Now, again, here's the practical challenge. How, as parents, while you're having dinner, how do you talk about the Word of God with your family? As I said, I'm trying to be practical here, and what I've learned is sometimes it's hard for parents to have these family conversations about the Lord. It can be hard for parents to have these conversations about the word of God. It's hard to be Deuteronomy 6 parents a lot of times, especially, especially if your parents were not good role models and you haven't seen this, right? It can be very difficult. So what we're trying to do as parents, 
really is to learn how to have conversation starters, to start conversations about our faith. And you know what? This isn't just for parents. This is for one another as believers too, to be better at having these conversations where we're talking about the Lord and talking about his word. So the way you start talking about God's word at the dinner table, as I said, here's where it begins. Remember, it has to be in your own heart, right? That's what, that's what Moses is telling us to, today. These words that I give you today are to be on your own heart. So in my view, parents should really make it a priority to get God's word in our own hearts. And this is why I believe a daily devotional some sort of daily time in the word of God, some sort, sometime in prayer to God on a daily basis is so important. It's not, a, it's not a rule. I'm not trying to make up rules or anything like that. I'm just trying to, for us as the church to draw near to the Lord and allow his word to sink down deep in our hearts, to transform us. Because if you're spending time in God's word and the Holy Spirit is revealing things to you about things you're learning, or changes you need to make in your own life. If that's happening, it is a lot easier to talk about those things around the dinner table. Now, for for example, if you use a daily devotional like Table Talk magazine, this is what I use, and we have some of those available. If you use Table Talk, and each day it has a little application section, for a conversation starter in the home at the dinner table, you could read that little section and talk about it with your family while you're eating. Or you could read a little short passage from the Bible and talk about it briefly. I'm not talking about like an hour sermon with your kids, okay? I'm realistic, especially if they're little. It can be a two-minute conversation. That's great. We're trying to be realistic and practical. But but we want to have these conversation starters with our families. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Uh, and, And my experience has been just making an effort, just making an effort to talk about the Word of God. To talk, for example, about how much you love and trust the Lord about how God's word applies to your life, things like that. And when kids see it, they see that God is real to you. And it is huge. They see that you really want to live your life for Jesus Christ. And that is huge. Another thing that helps parents is to read Christian books and articles. Then at the dinner table, you can begin to talk about what you're reading. This is Matthew 1234, Jesus says this. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Another translation says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In, in Bible, the heart not, is not only your heart right here, it's also your mind. It's who you are. It's your inner being. So out of who you are, how, what you're thinking about, you end up talking about right? And that's the way it is. We talk about, we discuss the things that we're thinking about. We discuss the things that are on our mind. And see, that's a good thing, but it could also be a warning. Because let's say we're at the dinner table with our family, and night after night, all we're talking about is politics. You know what that shows? All I'm thinking about is politics. Out of the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or If every night all we're talking about is college football or gossip or what, I'm not saying that talking about politics or college football or whatever is bad, but I'm saying that we end up talking about what we think about. And and, and again, I'm not saying all our conversations at the dinner table have to be about God's word, okay? 
But what I'm saying in our family, we talk about, we've talked about everything over the years. But the fact is, what we're thinking about is what we talk about. As I said, in our family, we talk about everything when the kids were little at the dinner table. Many times, and I'm just trying to think about practical advice that has helped our family. Many times, our family would talk about what was going on in each of the kids' lives, which is so important. My wife was real good about this. So my wife, Andy, would ask everyone, you'd have to go around the table, and she would say, okay, tell me about your day, the good and the bad, the ugly, or the good, the great, the awesome, whatever. You'd have to say something about your day. So every kid would have to go around the table, and they would have to talk about their day. And, and we would talk about good things that happened. We would talk about struggles that we had. We would talk about frustrations and discouragement. We would just share as a family. And that's wonderful. Because when that, those type of conversations are going on in the home, one thing that's happening is the parents are listening to the kids. You're listening. And siblings are listening to one another. And what, God, what the Lord does in those conversations, he ends up binding your family together. Your kids end up caring about one another. They, they, they understand each other's struggles. And having a set time at dinner to talk about these things is just huge. Our family also would talk about plans we had or decisions that we needed to make. I would talk about things like budgeting decisions, like real practical stuff. Of course, we would talk about politics, and parent, as parents, Andy and I would try to model what it looks like to think about all sorts of things as a Christian. So for parents, I would encourage you, especially younger, with, with younger kids, during these dinnertime conversations, also to talk about this, and this is huge, to talk about how a joyful life comes from following the Lord. A joyful life, a flourishing life comes from following Jesus Christ, living for him, obeying him. That's what leads to a joyful, meaningful life. I've shared before, I I, I shared it last week, I was an agnostic until I was 25. Just being candid, you're an agnostic, life has no meaning, realistically, if you think deeply. Most people do not think deeply about it. But for, for those who are in Christ, living for Jesus, living for God, That gives life meaning and purpose and joy. This is Psalm 32, and it starts out by saying this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed, that's happy. Happy is the one whose sins are forgiven by God. Happy is the person who's living for the Lord, trusting him, obeying him. That's what leads to a joyful life. So as parents, try to talk about these things. I want to be on the offensive I don't want to just shelter my kids from the world. I want them to see that following the Lord, that leads to a joyful, thriving, flourishing life. I want to be on the offensive a lot, okay? Because as I can speak from experience, living for Jesus leads to joy. It leads to meaning and flourishing. Now, now talk about also, just as a warning, I, we would do this with our kids a lot, Talk as a warning, talk to your kids about the sadness that comes from rejecting the Lord and living a life apart from him. And sadly, over the years, as the kids grow up, I can pretty much guarantee it, they're going to witness firsthand people who have lived self-centered lives, lives of pleasure or laziness, and God wants us to learn from watching others even watching others' mistakes. It doesn't mean we rejoice in it. We, we, our hearts are broken over it, but you can learn from other people's mistakes. 
I would ask you to turn to Proverbs chapter 24. Now, I hope you'll see what I'm talking about through, through this passage in Proverbs 24. We want our kids to learn by observing. So think about this passage. Proverbs 24, beginning in verse 30. And this passage has been really transformative for my own life. This, these, these uh, what, five verses have really transformed my thinking and the way that I think about the world. It's, uh, and I pray that God would really drive this in your own heart. So this is Proverbs 24, verses 30 to 34. It says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Okay, so, so what he's saying is he goes by this field, goes by this house, and it's a wreck. The wall's falling down, weeds everywhere, and I think it's a picture also of not just a physical thing. I think it's also a picture of somebody's life who's wrecked. Okay, we don't, I don't rejoice. Our hearts break when we see somebody's life who's wrecked, but... Notice what he says in verse 32. He says, then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. I saw this broken down thing. I saw this broken life and I looked and I received instruction. And the instruction that he learns is about laziness. And it says in verse 33, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and and want lack will come on you like an armed man. So again, the writer says he sees another person's ruined vineyard. He learned from it. He learned that this was caused by laziness and he applied it to his own life. In the same way, I would encourage you to teach your kids to learn by observation. You can teach your kids, again, not in a condemning way. I'm not saying that at all. But you can teach your kids to learn by watching other people and the, and the results of decisions that they make. Over the years, this is sad but true, over the years, you'll see young people rebel against their parents. You'll see young people get into drugs, do things with boyfriends, girlfriends that they shouldn't be doing. And when your kids see this, and they've been taught to observe, like Proverbs 24, many times your kids will observe and they'll watch the consequences play out. And it won't be good. Okay, again, our hearts break for it, but we can learn from it. For example, this is just one example, but I learned this recently. That people, and you know what I'm talking about, people who look at images that they shouldn't be looking at, when they do this, they become sad and anxious and less confident. This is a fact. This is backed by science. In fact, the guy who wrote this book on it, it gets like death threats over this because people don't want to hear it. But this is a fact. That, that, that looking at these images you shouldn't be looking at, this causes sadness and anxiety and insecurity. You see, this is another example of showing that disobeying God, playing around with evil, it will eat away at your soul. Living apart from the Lord does not lead to happiness. That is a lie. I preached a whole sermon on the deceitfulness of sin. It deceives us into, into making these promises that you're going to have all this happiness when you engage in evil. And it's a lie. It leads to darkness and sadness. It destroys your soul. It doesn't lead to flourishing. On the other hand, living for the Lord, trusting in him, obeying him, this leads to a joyful, flourishing life. Your soul will flourish when you live for Christ. 
I've said this a million times, we're all going to have trouble. I'm going through some trouble right now. We're all going through sadness, right? We all have difficulties. So I'm not saying that, that living for the Lord is going to prevent you from having any difficulties. But I'm telling you, that when you draw close to the Lord, even when you have difficult times, there is a, an abiding joy that is there in Christ that is apart from circumstances. And, and as I said, Psalm 32 is really true. Happy is the person whose sins are forgiven by God. Happy is the person who's living for the Lord. And so as parents, we should talk about this to our kids a lot. Parents, these are types of things that I would encourage you to talk about at the dinner table. As a dad, when my kids were younger, three of them are in college now, but when my kids were younger, as a goal, my goal was every night was to start at least one conversation about God and his word. And what I found was it was a lot easier to start these God-centered conversations because if it, during that time I was reading the Bible or reading Christian books because my mind was thinking about the things of God, again, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why I encourage you to be a reader, read some good Christian books, read the Bible regularly. If, listen, if reading is difficult for you, and I know it is for some, you can listen to books, you can listen to the Bible but, but doing this will make it a lot easier for you to talk about what you've been thinking about. It's a lot easier to start these conversations. In our family, it got to be kind of a joke because almost every night at the dinner table, I would begin a conversation by saying, you know, I was reading this article, and the kids would know. That was, it was like this common thing where I'd say, I, you know, I'm reading this book, and it says, and, and we would start talking about these things. But what I found was this had a huge impact on our kids, and you will see that it has a huge impact on, on your kids. Because especially if they see that it is, has a real impact on your own life, if they see you're not just reading for knowledge, for information, but you're reading, you're thinking about God's truth because you want to grow in your love for him. You want to grow in your obedience to Christ. You want to grow in your relationship with him, and you want it to be a closer and deeper relationship. So when the stuff that you're reading helps you in this, and you're thinking about it, and you're talking about it with your kids, they're going to see it. Now, some practical advice, and this is important. When you're trying these conversation starters, especially when your kids are young, don't be disappointed if the conversation does not go the way you want it to. A lot of these will be duds, absolute, complete duds, and that's okay. But the main thing is to keep trying. Parents, keep trying. Keep trying to talk about God's word at the dinner table. But understand, as I said, a lot of these are going to be duds. Many times, many times I would be pouring out my heart at the dinner table because I'm reading and the Holy Spirit is revealing things to me. And I'd say, you know, when I think about how much Jesus loves us, how generous and kind he is, that makes me want to be a generous and kind person. And I'm just so excited. I'm like, I really want to make this change in my life, you know, for, for our good and for the glory of God. I'd say all that, be so heartfelt and emotional. And then there'd be this long silence. And I'd hear, I'd hear someone say, anybody want my green beans? <laughs> okay, it happens. One, one time I was sharing, I forget what it was. I was like thinking about Jesus like... Uh, we may have been riding in the van or something, but I was like, Jesus being man and God, I was so excited about it. And again, there was this long pause and it was, Daddy, can I play Angry Birds on your phone? <laughs> okay, so, so be real. It'll happen. It happens to all of us. It's okay. It's real life. But don't think that you're failing and don't give up. Parents, don't get discouraged. Keep talking about 
the things of God to your kids. Keep talking about the word of God and the impact that it has on you because I promise your kids are going to notice and there will be fruit and God will bless your efforts. It may not happen immediately, but God will bless it. Don't get discouraged. The enemy wants to get you down and get you to give up. The enemy wants you to think, forget it. Why bother? Makes no difference at all. But that's a lie from the evil one and you shouldn't believe it. Keep persevering. Keep talking about the faith as God tells us to do in Deuteronomy 6. It says, again, talk about God's word when you sit at home. So don't give up on this, parents. You will see fruit eventually. Our kids remember our dinnertime conversations, and God has used those in a huge way. We had some friends over recently, and they got to ask our kids about our family dinnertime conversations. And Shelby said this. She said, these dinnertime conversations would start out with, how was your day? And they would end with election and predestination. Okay? (laughs) Now, my poor kids, you see what my kids have to go through? My poor kids. Now, you don't have to be as intense as me, all right? But again, don't give up talking about the faith. You'll probably be bad at it when you first start, but keep trying. It's going to get easier and easier. And here's the thing. When these conversations about Jesus, about the Father, about the Holy Spirit, when conversations about the Word of God happen a lot, it becomes more natural. And this is huge too. Kids will get used to it. They'll love it. And they'll look for that in their friends and their future spouses. They want to be around people who talk about the Lord and His Word. Also, the church wants to help you in this. So again, one of the things I'd encourage you is just to get into a daily devotional, something like table talk, whatever, something that will help you draw near to the Lord where your your heart and your mind are saturated by the word of God. Also for for members of WCC, the church is going to provide you with a resource for parents. This ministry is called Access. We're we're signing up for the subscription and and I'll send out an email this week. Uh, but if you're interested, you can log in. Again, the ministry is called Access, but it has a lot of good information for Christian parents, okay? All right, so we want to talk about the faith when we're having dinner together. Also, remember Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, you shall teach them, the words of God, diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. What does this look like? It, it, it's, it's, how about talking about God and his word you know, not only when you're at home, but when you're at the, at the park, at the playground, taking a walk, taking a ride in the car or the minivan, when the kids go to bed at night. That's the goal, to, to have God's word just saturate your home. Many of you guys have found creative ways of doing this. And it's so wonderful. Many of you play scripture songs while riding in the car. Uh, these, these Bible songs, again, are, some of them can be goofy, but they're a good way to drive the word of God into the heart's of our kids. Uh, it says also Deuteronomy 6, 7, when you lie down, when, when our kids were little, we would play a little CD of the Bible being read. So for years, our kids went to sleep hearing the word of God being read to them. Okay. So I would to, to parents of young kids, I just encourage you to be creative in this. Do what you can. Do what you can to make God's word a priority in your home. That's Deuteronomy 6. All right. And as I said, the families that do this, these are the ones who often remain committed to the Lord. So be committed to the word of God. Uh, that's the one, that's the main thing I want to say. There's a second thing. I want to say this, be committed to the church. 
I would just ask you to make a decision to really be committed to the church and have your kids involved. I mentioned this last time that kids who remain faithful as young adults often served in the ministry in the church. So as a church, I'd like for us to think and pray about how we can get our kids to serve with us in ministry. Because again, kids who serve end up staying faithful. I also mentioned this last time, that that kids who remain faithful as young adults often have at least one adult Christian friend from church who remains close to them as they grow up. So as a church, we want to be a church that cultivates friendships among different generations. So again, make a genuine commitment both to Christ and his church. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said this. He said, I will build my church. Jesus does not say, I will build a teaching ministry or a podcast or a discipleship ministry or a school or a publishing company or anything else. Nothing wrong with those. A lot of great things about those. But Jesus doesn't say he's going to build those. He says, I will build my church. Jesus is committed to the church, and we need to be committed to the church. In Ephesians 5, Paul says the church is the bride of Christ, the wife of Christ, and Jesus will protect his wife. He will protect his bride. He's committed to his wife, the church. And that means if we're going to be devoted to Jesus, we need to be devoted to his bride, the church. And that means a real local congregation with real people. This is not the church in some la-la land in our imagination. This is real people who are real sinners, who sometimes get on each other's nerves. But we're called to be committed to the local church. And, and one of the things that happens is your kids will see it if, you're, if you are committed to the church. And if you're not committed to the church, your kids will see it. A very common thing today is, is parents who are child-centered. Instead, even, even in the church, many times they are centered on their children instead of on Christ and his church. And if you do that, your kids are going to see it. So I would just beg you, don't be child-centered, be Christ-centered. Listen, our church has a number of things we like to do, but as far as attendance goes, really what we ask is, if you're in town, to be here when the church gathers on Sunday morning. That's, what, that's really about all we ask, and we don't think that that's asking too much. And, and I've seen this time and time again. Throughout my years, I've seen when parents make compromises when it comes to church, I've seen it have bad results. Parents I've seen who have been child-centered, they give priority to children's events rather than to Christ's church. The kids see that, and sadly, many times the kids end up walking away from the faith when they're in their 20s. I've seen it so many times, and it's just tragic. Let me read you, I'm I'm about done, but I'm going to read you this passage from a book called Gospel-Powered Parenting by William Farley. Okay? Then you can get mad at him, not me. Okay? So Farley, Farley writes this. He says, Ken and Jackie, he gives this example, Ken and Jackie are sincere parents. The oldest son was a talented athlete. He excelled at the local U16 soccer team. Because the team practiced during the dinner hour, the family stopped eating meals together. They had been in the habit of praying and reading the Bible after meals. This also ended. Ken and Jackie's daughter was an exceptionally talented ballet dancer. Her lessons were expensive. Ken and Jackie couldn't afford the ballet lessons and tithe at the same time, So they rationalized. They said, we'll resume tithing when she graduates. Soon the family was traveling to weekend soccer tournaments. Most were on Sunday. So church attendance became increasingly sporadic. 
Slowly, their social world began to revolve around the other soccer parents rather than their church family and around the ballet parents because soccer and ballet always came first. Eventually, the children went off to college. Within a few years, both children stopped going to church. They forgot God. They threw themselves into their real interests, athletics and dancing. Ken and Jackie were deeply troubled. They thought, what went wrong? What can we do to get our children back? They had made a common mistake. Ken and Jackie's kids imitated their parents. Mom and dad taught them that church was not important. God was not at the center of their lives. Their children heard the message, and they imitated it by forgetting God and leaving the church. And then he gives a a different example, a good example. He says, by contrast, Tim and Angie centered their home on God and his will. Tim told his son's soccer coach, he said, my son will be available any day except Sunday. He said, I'm sorry if this is an inconvenience to the team, but God is more important to us than soccer. This was a problem because Tim's son was the best player on the team. They needed him to win. The coach and the other players put tremendous pressure on Tim to compromise, but he refused to budge. In the same way, when Tim found out that his daughter's piano lessons would be during the family dinner hour, he gently asked her to find another teacher. He reminded his daughter that the family dinner hour was sacred. It was the only time the family could get together. And family unity was more important than her piano lessons. And then he says this, Tim's decisions might seem small, but they had immense long-term consequences. Tim centered his family on God and his will. Tim's decisions disappointed his children in the short run, but it won them for Christ in the long run. Okay, again, that's William Farley who said, I didn't say that, you can get mad at him. But what he's talking about, as I said, I've seen up close and personal many times, and it's tragic. So I'm going to close with this. Parents, and this is really for all of us, I would just beg you, let's truly prioritize our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Make God your number one priority. Center your life on Jesus Christ and his church. Try to live for him. And my experience has been in all facets of life that a lot of things just kind of fall into place because God blesses you in that. And as a reminder too, parents, if you feel burdened about this, don't. Please don't beat yourself up. That's not why I'm trying to do this. We all mess up. We all mess up frequently. When I think about the... the, stupid things and the sinful things I've done as a parent over the years, the hundreds, thousands of dumb things. I'm embarrassed about it, okay? But God gives grace. God's grace is sufficient. And then I would say this, for young people, I've said this before too, young people, I don't care how young you are, if you're listening to me, listen, your faith has to be your own. Your parents can't force you to have a close relationship with the Lord. It's your faith, and you're responsible for growing that relationship with the Lord. And I don't care what your parents have done. It's no excuse. You have a responsibility to make your faith your own and to grow in your love and devotion to God. And I'll just conclude with this. For all of us, let's make a commitment to strive on a daily basis to maintain an intimate, loving relationship with the Lord. Let's stay in his word. Let's be people of prayer. Let's be people who grow in our love for Christ. And let's pray that this would then overflow to our kids, our family members, our friends, our church, that out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths would speak, speak words of praise to our great God. And all of this would be for our good, for our thriving, for the flourishing of our souls, 
and for God's glory and praise. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we do praise you and thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Um, I pray today that this sermon would, would, would hit home, God, not just with parents of young ones, but with all of them, because we have, as a church, we have a role in caring for the next generation. So help us to be people who pray for the young kids. God, I pray you'd work in the hearts of our children, really work in their hearts and allow them to see a church that wants to live for you and live for your glory and is committed to you and to your word. So we love you. God, help the parents. I know there are a lot of parents who feel like failures and struggling. Encourage them, Lord. I pray that they won't feel beat up, but they really will feel encouraged and, and, and energized to, to strive to, to live for your glory and to teach the next generation. So help us in this, we pray. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.